You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue in our new series with part five, something old, something new. Bishop Van Moody will break down Hezekiah's story of obedience and see how it applies to our situation today. Let's get started. Happy Sunday, family. It is so great to be able to come together, even through technology, to worship. Now, after the incredible time that we have had in worship, I sincerely pray that you are ready to jump into the Word of God. Now, before we jump into the Word of God this morning, let me tell you a little bit about where I am. We are broadcasting this morning from a warehouse that we are renting in downtown. Now, we're renting this warehouse because of an exciting new way that we are going to make a big difference. You know, we are passionate about making a difference here at the worship center. Now, I've been talking about God doing new things, and there are lots of incredible new things that God is doing here at the worship center. And I'm gonna be sharing more of those new things in the coming months. But this is one of those new big things that God is doing. We've partnered with an international organization called World Vision. World Vision has a relationship with a major national retail store. And what this retail store is doing every month through World Vision is giving away major stuff that they normally sell. This retail store sells everything from food to furniture, barbecue pits to bassinets. And so every month we are going to receive a few shipments from this retailer through World Vision And get this, we're going to give all of these items away for free. Let me say that again. Every month, we're going to receive a few shipments from this retailer through World Vision, and then we're going to give all of these items away for free. This is why we needed to rent a warehouse, so we could have a place to store all of these incredible items. Every month, we are going to open this warehouse and allow you and anyone else to come and get whatever you need and whatever you want for free. The first time that we are going to do this is on Saturday, October 9th. Now, because of COVID, we are going to ask you to sign up to a certain time on Sunday for you to come to the warehouse. Now, this information about how you can sign up is on the screen, and we want to make sure that you sign up so that people will be able to socially distance as they walk through the warehouse. So please sign up and understand that you will be required to wear a mask. Now, if we run out of time slots for Saturday, October 9th, don't worry, it's okay, because we are also going to open the warehouse on the following Saturday, October 16th. But the key is you must sign up so that we can open the warehouse in a safe way for everyone. Now. Let's get ready to jump into the Word of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are so grateful for this Sunday and for the opportunity to worship you and to now study your Word. So Father, open our hearts. Speak to us now as only you can. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, family, I want you to meet me in the book of 2 Chronicles. You can also open my teaching notes in the TWC app as well, and you can follow along with me there. Now, the last several weeks, we've been studying the Word of God in order to understand how to prepare for the new. We know that God is doing a new thing. That's clear. 
But our focus has been on how we can prepare our hearts and our minds to participate in the new that God is doing. As a matter of fact, on yesterday, we just completed our seven day time of fasting and prayer. And the focus and even theme of our fast was preparing for the new. We want to continue that focus today. Join me in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 26. It says, There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had not been anything like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. Family, this morning, I want to talk about something old, something new. Now, perhaps you've heard this saying before. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and a sixpence in your shoe. This is an old saying that goes back to the 19th century, and it describes the traditional things that a bride is supposed to have on her wedding day. Something old represents a tie to the past. Something new represents hope and possibilities for the future. Something borrowed was supposed to come from a happily married friend or relative. Something blue represents love and purity. And the sixpence, which is a British coin that is no longer even made, that represented prosperity. What's most important to note, though, is that the whole point of this saying is that the hope and the optimism and the future possibilities of this couple's new life together is tied to and connected to them possessing some old things. As a newly married couple, they are embarking on something that is new. But at the same time, they need some things that are old. That's the reality for us as well. In this new season of our lives, God is definitely doing new things, but there are some old things that we need, some old things that are critical in this new season. This is why the leadership and the decisions of Hezekiah in Second Chronicles demands our attention. Now, most scholars believe that God used Ezra, the teacher and the priest, to write down the history contained in the book of Second Chronicles. In Second Chronicles, Ezra shares the historic details of what happened during Hezekiah's reign. The northern kingdom was defeated and Judah's cities were annihilated by the Assyrians. But in Jerusalem, where Hezekiah reigned, God did a new and amazing thing. Now get this, all around Jerusalem, there was desolation and defeat. But in Jerusalem, where Hezekiah led, God was moving in fresh new ways. So why was this the case? Why did God do a new thing in Jerusalem while all around them in other cities and in other territories, they experienced desolation and defeat? Well, Ezra answers that question in 2 Chronicles 29, 30, and 31. As a matter of fact, according to the history that he provides, God did a new thing in Jerusalem because when Hezekiah comes to power, he reestablishes some old things. God did some incredible new things because Hezekiah reestablished and held on to some old things. Oh, that's a word for us, family. God is doing some incredible new things. This warehouse full of amazing things that we are going to give away for free is proof of just that. And this is just the beginning. 
God is doing some incredible new things, but there are some old things that we can't let go of. There are some old things that we have to hold on to and even reestablish in our lives. What are those old things? Well, number one, I want you to take a look at this with me. Hezekiah starts, number one, by reestablishing worship. Number one, Hezekiah reestablished worship. In 2 Chronicles verse 20, uh, chapter 28, verse 24, it says this. In 2 Chronicles 28 and 24, it says, Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them in pieces. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. Now, Ahaz is Hezekiah's father. And when Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, was in leadership, the Bible reveals that he shut the doors of the temple and set up altars for people to worship idols all over the city. Now, worshiping idols is bad enough. But in addition to this, he shut the door of the temple, which means there was no worship of God taking place at all. Ahaz, in many ways, had just moved on. He did not see a need for the church. And there are lots of parallels between what Ahaz did in shutting the doors of the temple then and what's taking place today. There is a growing segment of people in our country and some even in our own communities that believe that the church is not needed. Like Ahaz, they don't see a need for the church. They are increasingly building their lives around idols and they believe that there is no need to worship God. For them, in many ways, church buildings being closed because of COVID was the perfect scenario that matched the condition of their heart because they don't think that there's any value in worship. Now, maybe it's because they've yet to open their heart to the Lord. Maybe it's because they're too busy. Maybe it's because they've been hurt by a previous church or maybe because of the numerous failures of leadership that have happened recently. There are several reasons why this is the case for some individuals. But what's most important to recognize is that there is a growing segment of people in our country and in our communities that feel like Ahaz did. They believe that the church is not needed. Yet, when Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, comes into leadership, the first thing he does is he reestablishes worship. Look at 2 Chronicles 29. And in verse one, it says this, it says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Now, his father didn't think that there was any value in it. But look at what Hezekiah did. He held on to something old and that opened the door for God to do something new. Now, when the text points out how Hezekiah reestablished worship, it's important that we understand that the word of God is not simply referring to worship as we so often think of it. This is not referring to singing or sitting or watching or maybe just simply raising our hands. First of all, there were no chairs in the temple, so there was nowhere to sit. But worship in the temple was really about a lifestyle. There were things that happened in the temple all day, every day, with the exception of the Sabbath, 
and it was going on nonstop, not just on Sundays for an hour or so. All of the things that happened in the temple happened consistently. They were done because real worship ought to be a lifestyle. This is why, as a matter of fact, when we were establishing this church, God told us to call this ministry the Worship Center. Now, God gave us this name, not because we have amazing praise and worship and we've had some incredible worship leaders down through the years. That's not the reason why we're called the Worship Center. A lot of people think that that's the reason. But the reason that God gave us this name is because the truth about real worship is that real worship is so much bigger than what happens on Sunday. Real worship is a lifestyle. So when the text points out the ways in which Hezekiah reestablishes worship, it's pointing out how he literally drew the people back into a lifestyle of worship. See, real worship, once again, begins to take place not because of what the people said with their lips. Real worship begins to take place under Hezekiah's leadership because of how the people began to live their life. That's important to understand. Now, there are critical things that Hezekiah and the people did that reveal how their life was worship. A, let me show it to you. They confessed their sins. The first thing that they did in reestablishing worship is that they confessed their sins. Take a look at um, verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 29. Verse 6 says, our parents, one translation says, our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. And they turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. And they also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings uh, at the sanctuary uh, to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem, and he's made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, to minister before him, and to burn incense. Now we're going to come back in a moment to this notion of burning incense and the lamps being put out. But what I want you to see is that the first thing that Hezekiah and the others did was that they admitted that they had messed up. He says, God, we, we did this. Our fathers did this. We were unfaithful. We turned our backs on you. We messed up. We sinned. They literally confessed their sin. Now, we talked on last week about the importance of tearing down the idols. But what do you do when you are the idol? What do you do when you think that you can do no wrong or you think that you always know what's best? See, this is why confession is so important. Confession cleanses our heart and even purifies our soul of pride. As a matter of fact, do you know what's so much worse than sin? Some of you are thinking, well, what could be worse than sin? Unconfessed sin. See, sin is really not a problem. And let me explain what I mean by that. In 1 John 1 and 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and purify us. One translation says, cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. The reason I say that sin is really not a problem is because the moment that we confess our sins 
it's over. God, God is done. He, he removes our sin. He forgives us. Jesus has already gone to the cross and he's already shed his blood and his life for our sin, past, present, and future. So the moment we confess our sins, it's over. But if we don't confess our sins, if we don't confess it, that's a bigger issue because it points to issues of pride in our heart. This is why the word of God is clear that pride always leads to our downfall. See, confession is a powerful aspect of worship because when we confess, we acknowledge God as the authority instead of ourselves. When we confess, we acknowledge that we cannot adequately do it on our own. When we confess, we acknowledge that we need God. And that's what's so powerful about what Hezekiah and the others did. He says, I've got to make a covenant with God. I need God. I can't lead without God. And he says that the first thing that we've got to do is that we have got to confess. When was the last time that your worship revolved around confessing your sins? Mm, that's a good question. When was the last time that your worship, watch this, had nothing to do with getting something from God, but instead had to do with confessing everything to God? The first thing that they did in reestablishing worship is that they confessed their sins. But then here's another thing they did. They lit the lamps and they burned incense. Now, this is important. That's why we underlined it uh, in the verses we read a moment ago, because the lighting of the lamps symbolizes the word of God and burning of incense symbolizes prayer. When Hezekiah and the others are confessing, they say, that one of the things that we messed up is that we put out the lamps. And what they mean by this is that they stopped living by the word of God. See, this is why the word of God is often described as light. Now, what does light do? Light illuminates the darkness. In Psalm 119, the psalmist, in fact, says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light uh, unto my pathway. The word of God is light for the path and the journey that we are on. Now, if the lamp has been put out and there's no light, it means we are literally walking in darkness. No wonder we keep bumping into stuff and making a mess of things. We don't have enough light. No wonder why we've squandered some of the opportunities and messed up some of the God-ordained relationships and not fully taken advantage of some of the open doors that God provided for us in our past because we don't have enough light. Hezekiah says, we messed up. We put the lamps out. But then he also says, and we have to minister before him and burn incense. Now, incense throughout the word of God represents prayer. This is why, in fact, David says in Psalm 141, may my prayers be set before you like incense. Even John, when he's given a glimpse of heaven in Revelation 8, he says this, he notices that there's another angel who had a golden censer who came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people. And on the golden altar in front of the throne, this happened. He goes on and says, And the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. See, incense throughout Scripture represents prayer. So when Hezekiah says, We have to burn incense, he's literally saying, We got to pray. And get this. Long before our culture, 
became fascinated with meditation and mindfulness and their benefits to our lives, prayer has always provided all of those same benefits and so much more. Prayer will lift burdens. Prayer will help you manage stress. Prayer will help you cope with anxiety and anger. As a matter of fact, scientists have actually studied the mental, emotional, and psychological benefits of prayer, and they have recorded that there are so many benefits. But beyond all of that, prayer is a critical component of worship because when we pray, we are acknowledging how awesome God is. We are acknowledging that our God is big enough and mighty enough to handle whatever it is we are going through. This is why we bring our cares and our worries and our fears to him, because through prayer, we're saying, God, we are unburdening ourselves because you said, take your yoke upon us and you would take our yoke because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so we're giving it over to you. Give us peace. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom because we need you. And we do all of that through prayer. See, family, prayer is such a critical component of worship because when we don't pray, we are actually telling God well, we can handle everything. And when we do that, we are going right back down the road of pride and the idolatry of self. But when we do pray, we are crying out to our Heavenly Father saying, God, we need you. We cannot make it without you. We don't want to take a step apart from you. Hezekiah reestablished worship. They confessed their sins. They prioritized the word of God in prayer. Please don't miss this. Hezekiah held on to some old things and that allowed God to do some new things in their life. But here's the second thing that Hezekiah did. Number two, Hezekiah also reestablished Passover. He reestablished Passover. Take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 30. It says, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. Now, they had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had been consecrated and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. Now, we got to unpack that prior to Hezekiah reestablishing worship because the temple was closed. The people were not gathering every year to celebrate the Passover. So right after Hezekiah reestablishes worship, the next thing he does is he reestablishes the Passover. See, the faith tradition of the Israelites required that three times a year they gather to celebrate three major festivals and events, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Passover commemorated the release of the nation of Israel from Egyptian slavery. It was a national celebration. So Hezekiah invited everybody from Judah to Samaria and all around to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. In verse 5 of 2 Chronicles 30, it says, They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Bathsheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, it had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. Now, when the text says from Beersheba to Dan, it means everybody. Hezekiah invited the entire country to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. 
Now, the reason that this is so critical is because what Hezekiah was doing when he invited everyone to celebrate the Passover was he was uniting the country spiritually, even though they were still divided politically. The northern kingdom had its own political agenda and the southern kingdom had its own political agenda and they spent so much time fighting each other. But what Hezekiah knew is that regardless of all of the political differences, what united them all was the Passover. What united them all was the fact that they were all saved spiritually by the grace of God. And that's what Passover pointed to. What a word for us today, family. Just like them, we often spend so much time fighting each other because of all of our differences. But please hear me. Regardless of our political differences, racial differences, social differences, economic differences, or any other perceived difference, just like them, what unites us all is the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. That's what Passover points to for the believer today. Passover points to the death of Christ, the Lamb of God who died for us. People came from all over the country to celebrate the Passover, and this celebration was so incredible that they extended the celebration for another week. Verse 23 goes on and says, the whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days, they celebrated joyfully. So get this, they celebrated the Passover for two consecutive weeks. Now, in our contemporary context, it's so easy to read this and wonder, well, why in the world was the celebration so long? I mean, after all, it only takes us about five minutes to celebrate Holy Communion. It's easy to look at this and wonder, why did it take so long? What were they doing in those two weeks? What's the big deal? Well, they celebrated for two weeks because when Hezekiah reestablished worship, it led the people to a deep awareness that they didn't save themselves and they can't save themselves. They celebrated because of a deep appreciation for the lamb that was slain and the blood that was applied. They celebrated because they recognized that the only reason that they were alive and covered and protected and provided for is because of the love of God. And when you think that you are the master of your own fate and the captain of your own soul, you don't really have a deep appreciation for what God did through Jesus on the cross. No, oh, but when you come to the realization that you cannot save yourself, but Jesus can. When you come to the understanding that you cannot save your children, but Jesus can. When you come to the realization that you can't fix your marriage, but Jesus can. When you realize that you are absolutely incapable of of fixing the situation that you're in, but Jesus can. What that creates in you is a deep appreciation, a deep gratitude for the salvation of Jesus Christ. Listen, I understand how the celebration lasted two weeks. I, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for the love of God. I'm so grateful for how he's kept me and covered me and provided for me. I'm so grateful for how his hand has been on my family and been on my marriage and been on my children. I'm so grateful for the opportunity 
to live life according to his will and how he's blessed and favored and, and prospered. I'm so grateful that, that he didn't leave me in my sins and leave me on the side of the road. I'm, I'm grateful that I am not in this thing by myself. I'm not alone. That even when the enemy comes against me, he always makes ways out of no ways. He's my rod and my shield. He raises up a standard in times of trouble. I could go on and on and on. Really seven days a prayer and fasting is not enough time to say thank you. Two weeks is not enough time to say thank you. We used to say in the, in the older church when I was younger coming up, if I had 10,000 hands, it wouldn't be enough. If I had 10,000 tongues, it would not be enough because God has been that good. Because I owe him so much by way of thanks and appreciation. And what I'm guessing is you do too. Hezekiah reestablishes worship. He reestablished Passover. He held on to some things that were old and that allowed God to do some new things in his life. Here's the third and final thing I'll share with you. Hezekiah also reestablished generosity. Thirdly and finally, he also reestablished generosity. Now check this out. There, there is so much in this story that I want you to see, and I really don't have the time to unpack all of it, but I do want you to see this. Look at verse four of Second Chronicles 31. Look at verse four. It says, he ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so that they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps." So Hezekiah understood something significant. He understood that it's one thing to have an exciting time praising God in a two-week celebration, but it's quite another thing to return home and live like people who've met the Lord. Hezekiah knew that the proof that real worship had taken place and the real proof that there was a deep appreciation for the Passover is a generous people. A worshiping people will always be a generous people. People who deeply appreciate the free gift of salvation will also be generous themselves. So after the Passover celebration was over, Hezekiah asked the people, bring the tithes and the offerings to the Lord, and the people did. Now look at what happened. Verse 7 says, they began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we've had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people. And this great amount is left over. Oh, that's so good. Check this out. When the people became generous, God began to bless them. I said it too fast. As soon as the people became generous, 
God began to bless them. You, you missed it. As, as they were bringing their tithes to God, by the time they got back, they were so blessed that they had to turn around and do it again. This is why it says that they started doing this in the third month and didn't finish until the sixth or the seventh month. Because every time that they were generous and got back home, God blessed them. And then they had to return and be generous. And then God blessed them. And it happened over and over and over again. Do you see it? God began to do a new thing because Hezekiah and the people held on to some old things. And what I love about this passage is that healing, blessing, peace, and prosperity, it happened in Jerusalem. It didn't happen anywhere else around Jerusalem. The northern kingdom, southern kingdom, desolate, falling apart. But it happened in Jerusalem because the people came back to God. And what's so special about this is that these are all of the things family, that we want to see happen in our own lives and in our own communities. And it's possible if we follow the example of Hezekiah. God is doing a new thing, but there's some old things that we have to hold on to. So just like Hezekiah did back then, I encourage you to do now. Let's reestablish worship. Let's, let's prioritize not a worship with our lips, but a worship with our life. Let's confess our sins and prioritize the word of God and prayer. Let's reestablish the Passover because the truth is we can't save ourselves. And I may be talking to some of you right now that find yourself in a jam or find yourself in a hard situation and you've been trying to work it out on your own. And I hate to tell you, but it's true. You can't work it out. You need the Lord. And if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do it now. If you don't have a faith community where you can continue to be taught the word of God and discipled, I want to encourage you to get connected to the worship center. That's why we're here. I want to encourage you to take your situation, no matter how hard and difficult it is, and give it to Jesus. Let's reestablish generosity. This is what this warehouse is all about all of this stuff that we're giving away for free all of the things that we try to do here at the worship center for free we try to model generosity because we know the power of it when you're generous god will begin to bless like crazy then you got to be generous again and then the blessing will continue to come that's what i believe for your life that's what i want for our ministry and our community because there's so much that we have got to accomplish for His glory, but we have got to reestablish worship. We've got to reestablish the Passover, and we've got to reestablish generosity. I want to end where we started this morning in that verse that says, There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priest and the Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them for their prayer reached heaven, his holy place. That's what I want God to say about you and your family. That's what I want God to say about our faith community. There's never been anything like this that's ever been done because God heard us all the way from heaven, his holy place. God bless you, family. I can't wait until next week. Take care.
We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.